Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. as if 
they're the only two people, you know, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel are the only two people on the earth. And people ask, well, who did they marry? And where did all these other people come from? And and all those kind of stuff. We have a very sketchy view of what was going on. Yet we know that something happened where God breathed something into the life of Adam and Eve that was not breathed into anybody else, if anybody else existed on the face of the planet. They are told to go out and replenish the earth as if it had been plenished and it needed to be replenished. The Hebrew word is very clearly replenish the earth. So was man around for a long time before and then there was some sort of disaster that is not necessarily directly mentioned in that particular context and God needed to form something extra out of the living creatures that were already here that God had created. That's why there's two stories of creation. They're not really contradictory, but they're trying to impart different ideas about some of the basics of creation. And just like Jesus, when he comes out of the tomb, he breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Did God breathe into this Adam and Eve and make them special, something more than those who had not been breathed into. And was was able a shepherd of men and women, also created by God, but not breathed into like Adam and Eve, or and that Cain was plowing uh, the Adama, the same people, you know, regulating them, uh, organizing them. Uh, being this overseer of that household because Cain and Abel had the same breath in them, this something extra in them that God gave them to dress and keep the earth. There's a reference to creating all the animals of the earth and then giving dominion to Adam and Eve and they have dominion over these animals and they go out and name these animals uh, but there's also the living creatures the, which is uh, part of a translation in the Hebrew and when you, you read Hebrew you know Hebrew is a fascinating language because every letter is has a meaning and those meanings are gathered together and create a bigger meaning you know, a, a more complex idea because you you take this symbol, this symbol, and this symbol, which have meanings, and you put them together. And when I first began to study Hebrew, they talked about, you know, most of these words being three letters long. Well, the reality is is that when you actually go and read the Hebrew text, you don't see the three-letter word there. You see four-letter, five-letter, six-letter, seven-letter word there because they add extra letters to add different nuances to the meaning. The order in which the letters appear affect that. So when you're actually reading Hebrew from the standpoint of the symbolism of each of the letters and the the, the overall idea of the letter, you see how the words blend together. And uh, we have... We have pamphlets up that give you a little hint. It's a different way of thinking about words. You don't just assign a definition to a word like you do in Greek and then, you know, or English. 
you look up a word in English and it can have five, ten, fifteen different definitions for the same word. Some of those definitions for the same spelled word are completely different. They seem to have no relative entrance uh, or connection to any other uh, uh, definition. Well, this sometimes appears to be the case when you're reading the Hebrew, if you're looking up the definition in Strong's Concordance. But when you're actually looking at the letters, another image begins to uh, appear because you have additional factors that you're looking at, a different different elements that you're looking at in the Word. Well, there's another factor that goes unseen when reading language or hearing words or hearing people talk. And that is a spiritual factor. And that's not on the printed page. That's not in the written word. That is something else. That's that breath of God that exists outside of your physical experience. It's not It's not a visible thing. You can't write it down on a piece of paper. You can't even impart it to people uh, with the words of your mouth. It is on another plane of existence entirely. And it is actually the creative force of understanding. So, that being said, we're, we're going to look at a couple of words like expectation. And, uh, well, if you look at, uh, that Genesis 4, 7, if thou dost well, shalt thou not be accepted. Accepted as what? Received as what? What what do they mean, accepted? Accepted by God? Is that what he's trying to say? I mean, the the word that we see there as accepted is uh, also translated rising, dignity, excellency, accepted, highness, raise up. Will you not be... Is defined as elevation. Will you not be elevated? Raised up. So, if thou doest well, he says, that word there, doest well, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's translated, uh, well, uh, most of the time, good also, also diligently, also, uh, better. Also accepted, that's another word that's uh, translated accepted. But it's talking, if thou doest well. And Christ said, not those who say, but those who do. Doing has always been a very important part of God's plan. Uh, Right away, you know, I I trick people a lot of times with the question, what was God's first commandment? And his first commandment was to dress it and keep it. Uh, He gave us this planet, this dominion over certain things on this planet. What he didn't give us is dominion over one another. And he but he gave us dominion over creation. And he said and he gave us something to do. Dress it and keep it. Maintain it. And maintain it as you know, keep that dominion. We don't want to become despisers of dominion. And we have an article up on that because it 
actually says in the Bible, when you translate it, it says, well, unto those who despise government. But it's actually saying despise dominion. And that, of course, is what Esau got into trouble with. He despised dominion. That, of course, is what the Nicolaitans got into trouble for. That is what Balaam got into trouble for. That they prefer the wages of unrighteousness uh, as opposed to this responsibility of dominion. They gave up their rights. They sold their birthright in, in exchange for benefits, something often free from others. And that's despising dominion. But when God is talking to Cain, he says, If thou doest well, will thou not be accepted, elevated? If thou doest not well, which is a very similar word there in in the negative, then it says, Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That word rule over, that's not the regular word for rule over. Um, There's other words. Uh, It said that the uh, primary word there is uh, uh, composed of uh, the three-letter word uh, mem, shem, lamad. Another word for rule is shem, resh, resh, or shem, resh. But the reality is this this is mem, shem, lamad. It's a different word. It doesn't mean rule. It's sometimes translated dominion. It's... uh, I was trying to think of some of the other words that it was uh, translated into. Um, but uh, uh, ruler, ruler, reign, dominion, govern, ruled over power, indeed. It's actually translated indeed once. But the reality is, is it doesn't really mean rule like in rule over or even govern. Uh, it's... It's translated that way, but that isn't really what the word means. And if you if you go to the actual Hebrew text, you'll see a completely different word. Uh, well, I wouldn't say completely different, but it's it's uh, tav, mem, shem, resh, and tav is the letter for faith. So it's a different kind of, uh, and even the word rule over which is be it vav, which is really a part of that same word because it's telling you what you be it has to do with house. And uh, anyway, so the, you're missing these concepts. These translators have, have translated these words in order to create a story, an allegory that fits their theology, their eschatology. And... Uh, even the word desire there, it's not the normal three-letter word that you might see there. It it also begins with the letter Tav and Shem and Vav and Kuf and Tav again and Vav. So, I mean, it's a lot of letters, a lot of ideas. Uh, but unto its desire, you must rule over. That's actually what the the literal translation of the words there. But again, like I say, the word rule includes faith. 
because faith comes into you. And somebody sent me something on Facebook this morning, and it's a picture of where they drop these little balls down through. Uh, uh, they're all mixed, different colors, and they drop them down, and there's all these little prisms down there. And supposedly, it sorts them out according to color. Now, I don't know if that's true. I was going to actually look up, find out if is that another one of these internet uh you saw it on Google, so it must be true kind of thing. If if that is true, that's an amazing idea. But the reality is, is I see something similar manifested in the spirit. That if you make certain choices and act in certain ways, in other words, take those choices and put them into action, it will create a different result down at the end in your life. And, you know... And they put this in this allegory of a shepherd and a vegetable and fruit farmer, and and they what what they are doing, whatever they're doing, whether they're shepherds of people, or whether they're plowers of people, regulators of people, uh, this is determining whether the smoke goes up and smoke goes down. And God is actually saying, but if you do well, whatever that means, again, you go back to that word, do well. Guess what letter that word begins with in this sentence? Tav. <laughs> the letter of faith again. Tav, Yod, Tet, Yod, Biet. Biet, again, is household. So you've got two Yods uh, around a Tet beginning in a word that begins with Tav, the faith word, at the end, the house word, the household word. So when they say do well, they're not just saying do well. They're adding a lot to to the word there that you're seeing uh, in the Hebrew that you do not see in the translation. And when you tell a story that way, to somebody and you write it down because Hebrew was meant to be written not spoken but when you write it down the original readers of that story are seeing these extra letters so they're literally seeing the word in the context of additional letters so they're talking about doing well with this Tav Yad Tet Yad be it and that that means acting according to this faith, acting according to faith in what? Faith in God. Uh, faith is faith is a gift from God that compels our actions, requires that we do things in a certain way. Evil, who wants dominion of this planet, they don't want you to be a doer of the word. They don't want you to be diligent. They don't want you to strive. They want you to think, oh, you're saved because you thought the right thought. You thought the right thought about God, so therefore you're saved. They don't want you to be a doer of the word. Christ wanted you to be a doer of the word. All the apostles were doers of the word. Early Christians were doers of the word. But most modern Christians haven't even got a clue what real Christians were doing what spirit they were walking with, what what way they were going in. When Paul is writing Christians, 
They're taking care of all the social welfare of their society. The the Christians in Corinth uh, were starting to learn how to do this, and it had certain economic difficulties it created in Corinth. But Paul wasn't just talking to the people. He was actually talking to the treasurer of Corinth and telling them, you know, you guys should be doing this not by force, but by free will offerings. Doing what? Collecting taxes by free will offerings. You should go that way. And Corinth was actually, there was a dispute, of course. There was going to be a backlash, a resentment of that idea. But they were actually high up people in the Corinthian government were thinking, yeah, we used to do this. Back in the days of the Peloponnesian Wars, that's the way the city-states were organized. They understood their history a little bit. But there was a different way of thinking, a different spirit that was moving in a lot of people throughout the Roman Empire. Some parts of the Roman Empire were beginning to see that they should not have gone this particular way of socialism of free bread and circuses provided by men who exercise authority. They were beginning to see that because of their own history, their own past, and because they were at different levels of understanding. I see the world today going in this other way. The, you know, the, the, the little balls coming down are being bounced over in this other way, and they've been sorted out in a different way. And the reason why is there's Inside them, inside the people themselves, there's a different spiritual frequency, a different acceptance of truth. And so they're moved automatically over in this other direction. And that's what was happening with Cain. You know, when we see the story of Cain, we all know that hitting your brother on the top of the head with a big club and killing him is a bad thing. But they're expressing a particular principle of action and thought and doing well and not doing well. And that can produce very subtle changes in society. And it has. Because today the modern Christian thinks it's absolutely okay to, you know, if they know it's not okay to go to their brother's house and hit him on the head and kill them. They know that's bad. But they are, you know, in the beginning, you know, some translations when they talk about Satan being subtle, and of course he was subtle. Most Christians don't know it's okay. It's against God's law to send somebody to your neighbor's house and force them to contribute to your welfare. They don't know that's not okay. And that's a sin. And that's what's happened here. And the sin we see in that text, it's a word that ends. But we'll be right back. Quote about Cain. Cain uh, was being.
being told by God that if he do does well, uh, he will be accepted. If he does not do well, he, uh, you know, sin awaits him. And uh, I, I point out that the word uh, do well in this particular uh, verse is tov yad tet yad bit be it having to do with the house, tav having to do with faith. I mean, literally, these 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 uh, words are almost like sentences. Yod is the divine spark, and we see two yods, and in between that, we see the tet. So, what are the, what do all these letters mean? What what is that word tet? What does that letter tet mean? It has to do with introversion. It talks about concealed power. Yeah, concealed power of good, but it is also representative of a of a twisted snake. You know, we talk about uh, you meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. So, what what are they talking about? It God can actually turn evil into good. He can take what evil is is darkness. It's the absence of good. He can take the absence of good and turn it into good. He can bring about good because of that. And that's really all evil is, is the absence of that good. But God is light. That's the actual positive force. And, well, evil is darkness. That's simply the absence of light. And so you you destroy darkness with light. There was an interesting line. You know, I, I see things all the time. I experience things all the time. And I happen to see, I guess it's one of the more recent somebody uh loaned us a video of one of the recent star wars and there was one line in there it's probably the only one i can remember if i can even remember it and uh, it, get it right anyway is that uh uh when uh, you know everybody's you know fighting the evil with their own anger and 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 all this kind of stuff uh and this person saves somebody and they say that, you know, we don't win because we defeat what we hate, but we win when we save what we love. And, uh, and of course, they were sacrificing themselves. I guess they didn't die, but they were sacrificing themselves to save somebody else. And that's how you win against evil. You don't resist evil. You know, you don't, you, you don't, you can't defeat darkness with more darkness. You can only defeat darkness with light. And so when you see these words and you see the addition of the letter Tav, which stands for faith, we're talking about this, and two Yods, which represent the divine spark, and this Tet in between, which is this hidden this introversion, this concealed power of good, that's the good you don't see. I mean, you can see if somebody, like, goes out and gives food to the homeless. Uh, somebody contacted me this week and wanted to know about making yurts for the homeless, going to provide hundreds of yurts for the homeless, you know, and uh, the church could actually make those yurts and provide them. I mean, that would seem to be very poetic in the fact that, uh, Maybe poetic isn't the word uh, I'm looking for there, but uh, t- uh, Paul was a tent maker. 
except I don't have enough labor to do that, so I'll probably turn it over to some other commercial <laughs> business, which uh, my brother-in-law is in, or son-in-law is in. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is uh, you know, you 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 give them tents, and they still have the same spirit. It's uh, Oglethorpe. Uh, when he was trying to uh, do something for the poor who were locked up in poor houses and locked up in debtors' prisons in uh, England for failing to pay debt, um, he said, well, we should give them a new start in the new world. And so he was going to create a colony in Savannah. And he uh, sent them, you know, he financed this colony and he financed sending these people over and getting an all-new start in the new world with a clean slate and they could produce uh, commodities and sell them uh, back uh, to England and uh, make a new life for themselves. And he said, uh, if I can get his quote right, uh, he says, unfortunately, they were no more inclined to work in the new world than they were in the old. (laughs) (laughs) And now there's a lot of homeless that can be helped, but you have to have a certain spirit in the helping of them, or you're just another Sodom and Gomorrah, whether you're helping them with tax dollars or contributed dollars. You have to have this other spirit in you, this hidden power, this, and that comes through faith. Faith in what? Faith in your image of God or faith in the God? You And see, that's what has now become acceptable that your truth is just as acceptable as my truth. That's absurd. That's insane. There, There is a truth in the universe. There is a reality. There is a sidewalk be, below every tall building. If you jump off the building, you will collide eventually with the sidewalk. That is the nature of things. If you... If you go down this path, you will confront what is down that path. You, if you jump in the water, you will get wet. I mean, it's just the way it works. That's the truth. You can't say, well, you won't get wet because you don't believe in water. You don't believe, don't believe in the sidewalk. So if you jump off the building, you won't hit it. You will. Your truth means nothing. Your truth is is delusion, and the the person who's deluded is still going to hit the sidewalk, uh, and, and probably at the same rate of speed. <laughs> so the reality is is that faith is a connection through the yod, the divine spark, with God's mind, the mind of God. See, you have an image of reality, and I have an image of reality. But God, or I have an opinion about reality. You have an, an opinion about reality. That's your truth. That's my truth. But God's opinion is reality. Whatever God is, his opinion of reality is reality. That is the truth. And faith is a connection to that reality, that 
understanding of the reality. And it is it is synonymized or symbolized with light. Because with light, you can see what's in the room. In darkness, you have to guess what's in the room. And that, you know, you imagine there might be a chair here. There might be a chair over here. And, but in, if you enter the room with light, you see the chair. And so it takes us back to the Tet. The Tet is the hidden good. It's the spiritual realization through Tav and the Yod, the divine spark, which is your connection to the Tav through faith. To God, but if the top is at the end, that's that's your that's your faith in your top in your in your reality, which does not remove the sidewalk, does not remove the repercussions. So when God is talking to Cain, He's saying, "If you do well, top connected to the top and the yod, then the hidden good, the tet." will go into you through the yod <laughs> and it will produce a particular result at the end. Lamad, your hand, it will produce a certain kind of work and diligence. But if you're not connected to Tav, but you have faith in your image of God, but not the God, then you're you're not going to end up with the same result, you're going to end up with what he calls sin. And he has this word for sin, which is uh, hey, tad, elas, tav. The tav is at the end. It's your 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 vision of truth is at the end, not God's, yours, elas is actually composed of two different words. It's a yod and a yod with a vav. Vav is a division word. A yod and a yod. Those are divine sparks, but the second one is upside down. I always see, when I see the elf, I always see that painting of Michelangelo where they show God reaching out with his finger and man reaching out with his finger and they're almost touching. And they are divided. Man from God, divided. And that's the Yod and the Yod. Divided. That's man. We're divided from God because of sin. <laughs> and if we have faith in our faith, and this is what I see rising up, I mean, we see, we call things like socialists and socialism and, and, uh, the left is, is, is people divided from the truth. And they end up with a certain uh, view of reality. And uh, But the conservative is not necessarily connected to the truth either. They're in the dialectic. They're down there fighting with the left, but they are all left of righteousness. Because, see, most conservatives, although there are some you'll find amongst them, but many of your conservatives... Don't understand that it is sin to regulate your neighbor, to force your neighbor to provide for your welfare. That is sin. That is, that is short of 
the light of God. That is not doing well. Now, amongst the conservatives, you'll find that they don't want their guns regulated. You know, they they may not want their family regulated. They may not want to be taxed too much. But they still go and look for the benefits of men who exercise authority one over the other. And if you go back to Cain, you know, uh, on the website I was actually trying to change this during the break, but the computer's running so slow. It, not that it's incorrect, but what I have written there on the page on Cain is rulers like Nimrod and Saul may gain power in many ways, but always resort to the use of force, like Cain, to provide a welfare or a social network uh, that snares the people. And there's live links into that quote. But I was actually going to change that a little bit, add a little bit more to it. Always... They desire to regulate through force their neighbor, their people. And again, what was Cain doing? He was plowing the Adama. He's trying to regulate the Adama. And of course, that's where I was going to take you today a little bit, and that's what I've I've done in the article uh, on regulate and appetite. We have this appetite to regulate our neighbor, to control our neighbor. Now, obviously, you know, you can see the extremes of that, but what you need to see is the subtlety of that, which takes us to another word that I wanted to explore today is expectation. You can find the word expectation uh, in the Bible a number of times. And uh, I think the first time you see the word expectation is in Psalms 918, uh, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectations of the poor shall not perish forever. Well, the poor is not just poor people. It's the people who are poor, you know, because they don't have true tov, true faith, true faith in the real God. And so they're poor. Uh they may not be financially poor. They may be very financially rich, but they're still poor. But he talks about the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Well, I know a lot of very unhappy rich people. They're not poor, but they're very unhappy. And why are they yearning to know the truth, to do the right thing? The same as the actual physically poor people. Do they have... Do they want to do the right thing? Do they want real faith? They want the faith of God. It's not faith in God. It's a faith of God. It's that connection with God through their divine spark, through their understanding, that God is writing upon their hearts and upon their minds. Well, the word expectation, uh, we only see that about a dozen times in the Bible. And when you get down into Isaiah and Zechariah, it's actually a different word. It's a different, completely different Hebrew word. But you'll see it in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 62, 5. My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. And in Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. 
Well, that word expectation, it's not always translated expectation, <laughs> as usual. It's also translated hope. And uh, it's, it's a, and again, it often has a variety of additional letters uh, to it. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, we'll, we'll look at all that eventually here, but uh, I was going to go back to our original ideological possession concept because here we're, we're talking about Cain and Abel, and we have we have uh, kind of an ideology uh, through our eschatology and through our interpretation of these stories. We create a whole philosophy about life and about what, you know, our what we see being taught us in the Bible. And it may not all be correct. It may be confused because it's it's not the tet. It's not that hidden information about good. It's just words on a paper and a story. And I'm, I'm not trying to... You can still tell the story of Cain and Abel the way you always have. But there's a message behind that story. And I'm trying to broaden the possibilities of understanding what that story really is. Because Jesus says that if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. And so if you, you know, when Cain struck Abel with a club, according to the story, and killed him, and buried his body, hiding the reality of what he had done, which is what Adam and Eve did. They wanted to hide the reality of what they've done. It's that denial of our sin that keeps us in sin. But before he hit him on the head, he already wanted to regulate him. He wanted to regulate other people. He wanted to plow the ground. He is already murdering his brother in his heart. And so you have to, it's a change in the heart. It's a change of connecting your faith with God's, your way with God. God is a giver of life. Despite a lot of the other translations where God is supposed to be vengeful and wanting to kill everybody. God didn't want to kill everybody. That's not what he wants to do. He wants life for everybody. But those who embrace the darkness, who run from the light, he's giving you choice. You're running to destruction. He tells you over and over again, warns you over and over again, the ways of the common first run towards death and, and destruction and and uh, evil. It, he wants you to go to the light. You keep running into the dark. And you need to change your ways to go this other way. And so we've been talking about the uh, some of the characteristics that are, would give you idea of ideological possession. And um, it's like a quicksand once you're caught in it. And you have to be become humble again. You have You're caught in this narcissistic quicksand of self-indulgence and and self-satisfaction and wanting to believe you've already got it and you're already saved and you you now go do what you want 
but you're not really connected by faith to the divine spark with the real God. You're, you have faith, but it's in your image of God. And that's why it upsets people to hear me talk about the fact that they may not really be receiving the wholeness. I mean, everybody has some truth, but do they have the whole truth? If you don't have the whole truth, you have a lie. If you have faith in a lie, you have faith in the darkness that goes along with that lie. And you need the whole armor of God. You need the whole light frequency of God in order to be sorted out where you need to be sorted out. Because without the whole armor of God, the whole truth, you're you're going to be turned off course. And you're going to be fastened to that which is not of God. You'll be connected. You'll be snared. The Bible talks about being snared and trapped. Even the homosexual can't change the fact that he's a homosexual. He's given over to a natural lust. The real uh, success and awakening that he needs is in another area of his existence he does not even want to look at. He, he is sealed in darkness, and not just him, uh, greedy people, selfish people, uh, angry people. You're bound. You're snared by these things. And you're snared by so many of those things, you've also gone into physical bondage in the world. And, and we, we showed the, the contractual nature of government and the covenants of the gods, and we show you, well, you've lost these rights because you've eaten this pottage, this red pottage. It's a Dhamma pottage. That's actually what they're talking about. The pottage is a Dhamma. A Dhamma is man, this pottage of man. You know, you take it back to what Soylent Green with uh, Charlton Heston. It's people. We're eating people. Take it back to what I said at the beginning of the show. We're taking a bite out of one another, and now we've been devoured. All the same symbols are there. <laughs> that you're, you've been altered. Your thinking has been altered. Your vision has been altered. And now you want a, a clearer vision. You have to bring in the light. And then you bring in the light, you have to see yourself. And I gave you the example last a week of the Hydra, which is this uh, serpentine water monster in the Greek uh, Roman mythology. But it's also a part of a genus of uh, Hydrozoa that swims around eating and living in the water, but then eventually becomes attached to one rock or another. It just attaches itself, and it no longer swims. It doesn't have to go anywhere. It doesn't have to make any decisions. It doesn't have to think anymore because it's attached. It's connected. It's snared by its own choice of rocks. It's snared in this one place. It cannot move anymore. Well, it doesn't need to make any more decisions, so it eats its own brain. <laughs> this is what happens to all socialists. They eat their own brain because they're attached to an ideology. And the reality is the conservative can do the same thing because they're attached to their ideology. They want to think they're right. 
And so they look at others and they say, well, look how wrong they are. And, you know, all the socialists think of those conservatives. They have no heart. And uh, the uh, conservative looks at the socialists and says, oh, look at them. They have no brain. <laughs> well, the reality is they both are eating their own brains. And they are just eating one another. They have to rise above them, which is what Cain could have We'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, uh, I was going to uh, go back to this idea of the possessed ideology because I'm constantly uh, dealing with telling people that something that they didn't already know and and so therefore they think it can't be true because it's not what they know and they think they know the truth already and so they've become very unteachable uh, and not that you're going to learn the truth from me but the fact is is you've become attached to your ideology what you have accepted as true, you're attached to that, and you cannot think outside of that paradigm, that that which you are attached to. You're you're snared in a way of thinking, and you can't get out. And you will never be able to get out of your own accord. You need something additional, and what in order to get that something additional and you want to get it from God, because you can get it from all kinds of other people. All kinds of other people will offer you their truth. But you, And, of course, I'm offering you what I see is true, but I don't want you to follow what I see is true. I want you to follow the truth. And all the, reason, the only reason I'm showing you that what you already think is not true is so that you will do something different. Now, what do you do? Well, Christ said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That was what you were to do. You had to be a doer of the word. And in order to be a doer of the word, you have to, well, you have to be willing to admit you're not doing it now. You're not doing what God said now. So this is, so I go and I write a book about covenants of the gods and show how everybody has become contractually bound in a system of bondage where they have become merchandise and they have cursed their children with the same fate. 
in debt. They are bound in this debt over and over again. Now, again, that whole scenario in the story is to try to show you the spiritual principles. And I see certain people seeing that, oh, yeah, contractual nature of government, yeah, that's why they've taken our rights away. That's why they can abort children and kill children like they they did in uh, uh, Great Britain. They wouldn't allow anybody to even try to save the child who at no expense to them was willing to do it, but they were willing to extinguish its life. And that was all in the news, and now it's gone. And so, meanwhile, people are being enslaved. There, there are millions of slaves. It's, slavery was completely outlawed in the 60s, 1960s, worldwide. That was one of the big boasts of the United Nations, as they had gotten every country to outlaw slavery worldwide in the 1960s. Well, guess what? You can you can Google it and find out there are millions of people that are bought and sold as slaves in countries all over the world again. One of the last countries to outlaw slavery was Saudi Arabia. Well, they've got slavery still because on paper they outlawed slavery, but in spirit they have not outlawed slavery. And so it came back. They They may call it something different. Uh, they may at least admit that it's uh, contractual. But the reality is, I mean, to, to some degree, uh, you know, we see it in, in the modern games of football. You sign a contract with a particular company, you know, football league or whatever, and they buy and sell players. You, know, you were playing for these guys, now you have to play for these guys because they, they bought your contract. And now you, have, now you can get out of those contracts in America. You don't have to keep playing for those guys, but you'll lose a lot of money. You can actually be fined and even sued if you refuse to play for certain guys uh, because they want to get their investment back. They bought your contract, and if you break the contract, you you can lose a lot of money. And so... Um, it's it's still a form of slavery, but it's a little bit more humane uh, in America. In other countries, you're bought and sold, and that's it. You quit, you get beat. <laughs> you don't work. You don't do what you're supposed to do. I mean, the atrocities go on behind closed doors in these countries that you would not believe. And they literally get down to the point where, I mean, the news isn't covering it because we have a liberal news, but there are people whose organs are being harvested, they're being killed, they're being murdered, they're being mutilated, and and it's blacks doing it to blacks in Libya, it's uh, Arabs doing it to people in Saudi Arabia, I mean, it's just all over. Plus, you have the, the, the slave sex markets. Uh, that goes on from Taiwan to uh, New York City to London, the child uh, sex markets in South America all, and in London and in France. All these things exist, and they're going on uh, to, because they reach all the way sometimes to the higher echelons of government. And it is so shocking that the media doesn't even want to cover it uh, they they don't even want to look at it because it's happening on their watch, so to speak. So all this is going on, and I'm saying that the, these horrible 
evil things that we see in the news and we can sit back and say, oh, man, those guys are so bad. But the reality is that we're part of that same spirit that moves in that direction. I mean, ultimately, you know, enslaving people, uh, sex slaves, whatever, abuse of children, it's all about regulating their lives, controlling their lives, dominating their lives, dominion over their lives. That's a, that's where you end up in these horrendous, evil slave markets from, from London to Addis Ababa. But where does it start? It starts in the idea the expectation that you have a right to regulate other people's lives. And, you know, that's that, yeah, I haven't beat anybody on the head, but I do want free education for my children. Uh, I do, you know, I paid into Social Security, so I want a Social Security check. I have a right to that. Even though you can show people the system is bankrupt, the only way you're going to get any benefits is borrow money against the future of your children. So if you want those benefits, you're going to have to beat your unborn children to death. <laughs> that's that's what's happening. Uh you don't see it that way because you don't you're not completely in the light. When you start seeing it that way, then you go, Oh my goodness. I had a minister in New York write me and wanted to know that if if people, could people in their congregation be on welfare or receive any kind of welfare? And, you know, I try to point out Social Security is welfare. Public school is welfare. Unemployment, literally, is welfare. Because it's all-encompassing. Any benefit you get by force from almost any agency, because the, the agent, all the agencies, all the governments of the world are bankrupt. They've all borrowed against the future, so they're all violators of the Sabbath principle. They didn't work first and earn it. They they're borrowing against the future. They're they're getting they're they're eating up their rest and the rest of their children today because they want today what they have not yet produced or earned or you know obtained through the sweat of their brow. They want it now. So this puts them over in another part of the an equation where they or another pathway is going to lead to destruction. If you want to regulate your neighbor, I mean that's what they say. They, oh, these kids out there yelling, take away the guns of the people because if you don't want to take away the guns, then you don't care about anybody else's life. In other words, that this is ultimate Cain stuff. They want to regulate everybody else's life. Now, absolutely, there are. So anyway, I wrote this article on regulate, and you can go go see it. I didn't send out notices to everybody, but I've sent it to the ministers group. And so if you if you've done what Christ commanded, and you have sat down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, and picked a minister to connect you, that person you want to be ministered by Christ. You want to be ministered by the Holy Spirit. The reason you pick a minister is not so that he can tell you what to believe. You pick a minister so that he can connect you with the ranks of 50 and ranks of 100 and ranks of 1,000. 
because Christ preached the kingdom. You have to have the spirit of Christ in you, and everybody else has to have it too, and everybody else doesn't have it. But if you come together, you work out your your salvation with fear and trembling. That word expectation that we see in the Bible, that we commonly see translated from hey, vav, kuf, tav. Again, <laughs> that's a, uh, now... Now, many times when you see that word expectation, there will be additional letters in, in the Bible, which will change the meaning of that word, which is why when we see that word translated in the Bible, 23 times that word is translated hope. Only seven times is it translated expectation. Uh, a couple times it's translated line, the things that I long for is another translation of the word. But if you look at the actual words when they appear in the Hebrew text, you'll find that they are uh there's additional letters trying to denote different you know additional concepts and ideas connected to that word. Now the translations don't always reflect that, but in the Hebrew it's there. And the the authors put it in there. The translators they they don't seem to be as interested in that as they are in their own private interpretation of the the gospels and the, and the text of the scriptures. They they put it in a way in which it promotes what they already believe to be true. But then we can't make translators God. That's why it's so important. You have to have that that Yod Tov connection with God. And believe in the God, not just your image of God, whether you make it out of stone or wood or words. Your image of God does not change God, but it may change the direction in which you're going and what you think and what you believe. You have to have that actual relationship with the God. And and many of you have touched the divine the yod, the divine spark, and seeing some truth. But you must be perfected in that truth. You must continue. Don't stop. Strive, because Christ said to strive. Persevere, because Christ said persevere. Because the way is narrow, and it gets narrower as you go. Now that word that we see, expectation, or is translated hope, actually is from another word, that has no tav at the end, and it has its hey, uh, vav, akuf, uh, and it's translated wait twenty nine times, look thirteen times, wait for once, gathered once. If if you look in, in uh, Genesis one nine. It says, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. That word, gathered together, that's that word that we see translated weight, and is the root word for the word expectation or hope. So there, there's, in this, 
symbolism, if you were reading in the original Hebrew, you would see that there are additional ideas connected with these words. Now, does that mean you have to go out and learn Hebrew? Now, I, I went out to learn a little Hebrew, a little, learn, learn a little bit about Hebrew and about the language, so I can show you that what you've already accepted is true may not be completely true. It may not be completely so. We see the uh, the same word in Genesis uh, forty nine eighteen. I have waited for thy salvation. That's that word that you see gathering the seeds together. And back to that original statement about the the little colored balls being sorted out as they bounce down through these prisons. Are they really being sorted out there? I don't know. But that, if that is true, that is a spectacular example of what I'm trying to say, is that if you don't accept the whole truth about yourself, about God, about the reality around you, you're going to attach yourself to a rock of your own making, a belief in God of your own making, this this graven image of God in your own mind and you're, you will consume you will not use the whole of your gifts to be perfected in Christ now will you have signs along the way will you have evidence along the way that uh, that uh, this is so that you uh, have attached yourself to an image of God that is not completely true and that you have stifled your growth, you have stifled your ability to reproduce fruit. I mean, God gave us certain parameters, you know, like uh, if you're going to have a minister, he should be the husband of one wife and uh, he should have raised his children and his, his children should be, his house should be in order. If If he's not doing those things, if he has not been able to do those things, something's missing. And he's going to have to test that. Uh, I mean, he is, he, there's, he, God is telling them something by those actions. If you thought it was okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, that socialism is good, that's pretty clear evidence that you're engaged in covetous practices that will likely or has already made you merchandise, has already snared you and trapped you, and is maybe because of what your parents did, has trapped you and you're already the cursed child and absolutely willing to curse the next generation. So back to that preacher who asked, uh, can anybody in your congregation be on welfare? If you're turning around and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you can't unattach yourself to the rock that you've already connected to. But if you turn around and you're seeking the righteousness of God, trying to come together like the seas, like the water, gather together in hope, in expectation of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, which does not allow us to covet our neighbor. It doesn't allow us to bludgeon our neighbor with a club. It doesn't allow us to regulate our neighbor, for especially for our own benefit, because that would be a covetous practice. 
It doesn't allow us to do that. So now you're turning around. You're going to want to go back the other way. What does it take to get near God? Because that's the rock you want to attach yourself to, is God, Christ. What what, what does the, the rock of Christ look like? And what draws you near the rock of Christ? Sacrifice. So you're on welfare. Are are you self-indulgent? Are you eating the right kinds of foods? Are you trying to eat healthier? Are you adulterating your body? Do you have a lot of idle time? Do you have extra time? Maybe you have to take care of your your illegitimate child, or maybe your husband abandoned you. I don't know. Maybe you have some physical disability. I know people who have physical... The best guy for haying, uh, you know, custom haying my field which was a little tiny field and almost nobody wanted to bother with it, was an old, old crippled guy who could have been on disability through most of his life and never bothered collecting a dime. Instead, ran a ranch, was county commissioner, went out and helped people left and right at every opportunity. And he was a crippled. Why didn't he just go go get on disability? And he could have got a free check every, every year. But he didn't do it. He didn't. He, he thought, "Well, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm not disabled. I'm just crippled. <laughs> you know, it's not heavy. It's just the way it is. I can do this. And as long as he could do, he would do. He was industrious. If he if he had to bale the hay at three in the morning, he was out there at three in the morning. If he had to bale the hay a little later, he would sit there in his truck until it was four, till the dew came on." And when the dew came on, he would get out of that truck, crippled as he was, not able to stand up, barely able to bend over. He would reach down and check that hay with his hand until it was right to bail, even though it was a little tiny 10-acre piece. And when it, because it was his neighbor's hay, he was going to do it right. Well, that's kingdom. That's drawing him closer and closer to the kingdom. He was originally a Democrat, and he became a Republican. <laughs> but hopefully, it get him even out of that and closer and closer to the kingdom. But that was the world in which he lived, and that was the realm, the pool in which he swam. And he sought to do right by others. He, the people, some people thought he wasn't a Christian because he didn't go get baptized. But every day he walked more in Christianity than your average guy. So now people see, you know, they read my book, Covenants of the God, they see the contractual nature of government, they certainly see the oppression of government, they see the regulation of government, and they think, oh, we can't have anything to do with them. There there was a guy, he was the county commissioner, and he would come out and hay our field, and he would do a good job at it. That put him closer to the kingdom and saying, oh, I can't have anything to do with government. That's the waters in which he swam. He did right. Ah, I could tell you another story. I'll have to save it for uh, for another time uh, because there's too many ongoing things. But I heard it just yesterday of a sequence of events in somebody's life. It involves some government. It involves some private enterprise. It involves lazy people. It involves liars. <laughs> and uh, all somebody had to come into the situation who actually cared about doing the right thing 
by the people that were in his world and in connection with him. And he changed the whole course of all kinds of people's lives. And uh, I shouldn't say the whole course, but he certainly, he, he altered the course slightly in many people. But really what's being planted by these actions is the spirit of faith. Be willing to see the truth and act upon it. It doesn't matter whether you're in government or uh, – because a lot of the people come out of government, come out of the system because they're judgmental. They want to – and you see it. They, they want to take down the government. You know, I pointed this out before, but people don't make the connection. You, know, they, you see these people out with anarchist symbols and anarchist flags, and they're out there breaking windows and trying to take down the government. That's not an anarchist. That person wants to regulate other people's windows. <laughs> other, you know, they block entrances so that people can't go in to to conferences and hear other people talk. That's that's Cain. You know, they hit people with their flag sticks that have their anarchist symbol on them. They hit them in the head. Because they want to go listen to somebody speak. Those aren't anarchists. Those are people who want to rule over other people. They want to control them. They want to regulate them. I want you to be regulated by yourselves. But I want yourselves to be regulated by faith in God. goes back to that word. Where you see the first word is tov. First letter is Tov, then a Yod, then a Tet, then a Yod. And what was the last letter? <laughs> As I, just see if you're paying attention. You should know by inspiration that Tov is faith in God. Not faith in the image of God, but faith in the God. Right. And now that God is riding upon your heart and upon your mind, in the inner parts, in the secret parts of your being. And now that light that came in from the faith of God, that white light, not shadowed light, the white light of God riding upon your heart and your mind in the inner part of your being, now through the yod in you, connected to your lamad, your hand, goes out and does. The, whatever is before you, whatever work is, whatever is laid out before you, whatever is in your realm, and you're part of the pool where the hydra swim, because you're attached to the rock of faith. So whether you're a county clerk, or whether you're a congressman or a senator, you have a choice to operate by that faith. Whether you're a judge, a lawyer, a policeman, that faith can move through you. When people say, oh, well, if you believe in God, then you have to quit your job. You can't swim in that pool anymore. And now you have to go over here and do what? Do anybody who tries to tell you what you're supposed to be doing, and they're not sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, which the king commanded us to do, and they're not taking care of the widows and orphans and even the needy of 
anybody and everybody in our society, not just their local congregation, so that somebody in the network still has to go and get welfare. Because you're not taking care. Remember when Israel, and, and this is, I'll point this out real quick. Israel left at one time from Egypt. Now they began to change long before that during the plagues. The same way Abraham went back to Haran many times before he came out with many souls. And Jesus preached for years before there was Pentecost. They came out together. They came out with the sick and the indigent and the old and the young and the healthy. They came out together as a kingdom. You're not doing that. You ain't free. We'll be right back. Government, 
but then they want to impose that regulation on other people to be like them. But they're actually putting themselves in a high place where they think they are better than others because they do these things. Christ didn't think himself as better than others. He came to serve. He said, if you want to be one of my disciples, you only get higher in my kingdom by serving more, not by lording it over people or regulating them or telling them what they ought to do. This is a hard thing because I would love to tell people what they should do. You should do this. You should do that. People come to me occasionally uh, if they're out here and they want want to supposedly help or bless us. And I give them a list of jobs to do. If they do them, then I will give them another list of jobs that need to be done. Because I can see things, because I'm familiar, that could be done. But if they don't do them, I'm not going to keep giving them more lists because I do not want to be the motivator of their dream. I do not want to control what they're doing. But they have to become doers themselves. And so that's why I ask, what is your dream? Is your and can you change your dream? Can you change your motion? If you can't change your dream, you can't change your motion. You can't change where you're going. You're going to be swept away with a current. You know there could be currents in the river so great that the rock, the hydra is attached to, begins to roll. Hydras live forever, but when that rock rolls, it's going to kill the hydra. Uh. So, what's your dream? And can you change your dream? And if you could change your dream, what can you change it to? You want God to give you your dream. You want Him to write upon your heart and your mind. Your hope is in Him, but how do you know that your hope, that you're really manifesting a hope in Him and not in an artificially created ideology, idol? of him you create an image of god is it really god or is it an image is it a delusion what's it producing what what where are you going with this see there's a there's a you have to see that you carry your traumas with you into the future and they continue to affect your dream until you can let them go and the evidence is all around you where you're going and where you're not going and you have to change but you can't change yourself you have to be changed first you have to know where you are you're hiding you're hiding from some truth or another just like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden and so now you begin to wake up do you run from what you see or do you see what you see and act accordingly and, and when you see the truth about yourself, it's painful. If you live in darkness and somebody turns on the light, it hurts. But you, and maybe you'll blink a little bit, squint a little bit, but you have to keep at it. So you have to know where you are. You have to know who you are. So you have to see the truth about yourself. You're naked. You can't do this of your own. You have no power. Naked of power. But what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be dressing and keeping it. You're supposed to be doing. If you do not do well, you will become subject to sin. Sins like 
like abuse of others, judgment of others, sloth, envy. What, what are all the vices we could go down to the list of all? But you will end up, you will end up even bludgeoning your neighbor, regulating. It starts with regulating your neighbor, regulating others, thinking they ought to do things your way. Don't go that way. So you have this physical temple, this physical fleshly temple. Take care of it. Uh, you are given responsibility of other people. Like this morning, we had uh, my uh, granddaughter ended up somehow keeping what we call a bummer lamb. Bummer lamb is a lamb that's not raised by its mother. It's raised on a bottle. And its mother may have died. Its mother may have uh, gotten ill. But its mother may have been a bad mother. Uh, I can't remember. But she raised up this this lamb. And it got kept behind. Normally we sell those because they don't make good mothers. Well, this morning it had a lamb. And it's it was making the noise of bleeding to its lamb, but it didn't know. It was, it was walking around in a stupor like, what? What happened? <laughs> it, 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 it follows you around because it's a bummer. It doesn't stick with the herd like it should. And now it just had a lamb, and it doesn't really know what to do. So we've moved it off into a separate pen so that it's lamb and it can start to craft. But we're trying to wake up part of its brain that it was gone because it wasn't raised naturally with the flock. And so now what do we do? <laughs> so, uh, so we have this hope and expectation that it may wake up and take care of its lamb and then we will we'll put it with another you that has a lamb and uh, keep close eye on it and hope that we will wean it back into reality and back into the reality of being what it is supposed to be is this sheep it takes care of its lamb and raises its lamb up but uh it's it's been traumatized by the fact that it wasn't raised by its mother even though you bottle feed it, that's just nourishment. You even give it hay, that's just nourishment. But the mother gave it a relationship. It bad to it, it to its mother, it would come back and forth to its mother. It didn't have that. So now when it has a young, it doesn't know. How, it instinct is there, but part of its natural constructed brain activity has been completely out of practice. And so that's why... Jesus says that your ministers should have a family and they should raise the family and they should have their house in order. They've taken care. You know, uh, Peter was a fisherman. He had fishing boats. He was a wealthy fisherman. He had men and crews working on his boats. That was a wealthy, wealthy fisherman with a big house. In the same way with uh, Paul. Uh, he came from a wealthy family from a tent-making city, and he himself was a tent-maker with Aquila and Priscilla. They were industrious because there are lessons that you learn in that. If you're raised a bummer, that's what everybody wants to do. Evil wants you on social welfare. Evil wants you sending your kids to public school. doesn't want you homeschooling your kids because you learn too much when you do that. It doesn't want you to be, you know, uh, out on a farm or where you have to tend to the animals. You have to tend to their needs. You have to, you know, feed them 
morning and night. You don't just feed them double one day and then expect them to get by the next day. I mean, it's like turning them into the haystack. They'll destroy it. You you have to dress it and keep it. And in raising a family, you learn that process or your family suffers. But you're awakening to the dream of God, the patterns of God. And you're following that thing. And that's why you need to come together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Because you're now not just thinking about your congregation that makes you feel good. You're not just loving those who love you. You're loving people at the other end of the network, in the fifties and the hundreds and the thousands. You don't even know. You don't even know if they love you. They don't even know of you. But you're casting your bread upon the waters and sharing out there and making sure that everybody has enough. That's manifesting the spiritual reality of God, which is why there's life everywhere on the planet. You go up in the Arctic and there's life in the Arctic. There's there's life in the desert. Mariposa lilies growing on the top of a butte that has nothing but rocks and barely soil between them. And up pops a mariposa lily in the middle of the desert with no rain for a month. And you think, like, where did that come from? It came from God. Because that is in the nature of God to bring life where there was none. So that you want that dream written in you. You don't want to be regulating other people, telling them how to live their lives. I mean, there's some basic principles. Obviously, you should not be beating people to death. You should not be enslaving people. There, there was a, a socialist, uh, I guess you could call it a society, the St. Simeon Society, was big promoting socialism and equality of women. And uh, this is another thing. There's a lot of little patterns. We'll maybe talk about some of these this afternoon. There's, but it ended up becoming a religious group that oppressed women. <laughs> Yet one of their goals, they thought that you would only have the equality of women in a socialist society. Absolutely the reverse. And and that's why, you know, the, the modern liberal wants to, I mean, it's absolutely ta- taboo to say that there's a difference between men and women. There is a difference. There is a difference between men and women naturally, ingrained from the beginning. Not just chromosomes, but there's actually a difference. And blurring that difference, denying that difference, is denying the truth. And it's going to drag you down another road, drag you off the path. So that's one of the reasons why coveting your neighbor's goods drags you off the path. Wanting to regulate your neighbor and what he thinks and his mind, his perception. And it's constantly a temptation. And you're trying to awaken people. And they they want you to give them motivation. They want to say, you know, uh, you know, I could think of several different things. I, uh, that that they they want you to say, what should I do? What do you want me to do? As if, no matter what you say, you're regulating them. I want you to do what God wants you to do. 
But I want you to see what God wants you to do. I don't want to have to tell you what God wants you to do. I can tell you this, that God does not want you to be slothful. God doesn't want you to be uh, uh, turning a blind eye to your own failings. God doesn't want you to be judging others, regulating others. You know, I mean, I could say, you know, expectation. Remember this word expectation. This is the word hope. And and some of the places where you see it used in the Bible, it's it's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, I read from Proverbs uh, 11.23, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation, same word, desire, of the wicked is wrath. Uh, the desire of the wicked is to regulate. The desire of the wicked is to get you to conform to what they're doing because they feel higher and more righteous because they're doing this. You don't need to feel higher. You don't need to feel righteous if you are righteous. And if you are righteous, it's because you let the faith of God live in you through the divine spark in the inner places of your being, in the Ted, and then your divine spark working through your hands is manifesting the ways of God. And that's why I say that until you are sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, taking care of all the social welfare of the people, you don't have the right to tell anybody to come out because your heart is still in. And you're not regulated by the by the faith of God. And you're certainly not regulated by the faith in Christ because Christ commanded that you do that. You're not ready for Pentecost. You're not ready for Exodus. You're not ready to come out of Haran with many souls because you're not taking care of one another. And there's many levels to that, taking care of. It's not just giving, you know, milk to the lamb and and hay to the lamb. You can't be a good sheep mother. A good sheep mother is there 24-7. You can't do that with a bummer. And it still wouldn't be a good sheep if you did do that uh, because you're not a sheep. I knew a fellow who raised a bummer out here on, on on a ranch, and uh, it, it followed him everywhere. He was a kid, and it was summertime, and so it just followed him everywhere. And It slept on the porch with dog because it also followed the dog. It ate from the dog food dish. It actually learned to eat dog food. It, it was extremely attached to the young man and uh, and the young man to it, but it was never a good sheep, and... Uh, you can ask me to finish that story sometime at the festival, and because it's a kind of a funny story, but uh, I won't finish it here. But Proverbs twenty four fourteen says, "So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy souls when thou hast found it. Then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Thy hope shall not be cut off." But you you need this knowledge of wisdom. You need this whole truth. 
and you need to act upon it. And if you're not doing that, no matter what I say, you're not going to see the truth. Because I don't want to write upon your hearts and upon your minds. I want God to do it. And the way that's going to happen is you take the world in which you're now swimming, the, the world in which you're now living, and you start applying the kingdom principles of service, of sacrifice to them. Now, if you want to join in our network, then apply them in that network. You can swim in anytime you want because they're all free assemblies, and you can swim out anytime you want. But if you're swimming out because you're abandoning others because you think they're imperfect, then expect God to abandon you. You know, when the people elected a ruler like Saul, God told them what was going to happen. But remember, they elected Saul because they had already turned away from God. So if you unelect Saul, which many men did, they eventually, it wasn't Saul, but it was under Solomon, uh, actually under Rehoboam, uh, he said, they said, what is, what is David to us? And they left the kingdom. And they, the kingdom divided. And then all hell broke loose. Uh, but those who stayed with the king, they still had to go back to the day when they elected a king. The guys who were unelecting the king and saying we're going off, they didn't have the answer. They didn't have the solution. They didn't have the spirit of God. They were just fed up with government. Fed up with taxation. They didn't go off and be the kingdom of God, operating by faith, hope, and charity, probably to some degree, but not like they needed. They just went off. So that's where you find it. I tell you that electing Saul was a sin, and so now you're going to unelect Saul. No, you have to you have to go and allow God to start writing upon your inner heart and your inner mind. And I'm sure everybody has allowed him to jot down a few notes there. And they've realized certain things like abortion is bad. Uh, you know, uh, coveting my neighbor's goods is bad. Uh, but what about the good? What about that which you're supposed to be doing? Sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of all the social welfare of a network of people that reaches all across the world. Are you doing that? Are you focusing on that? Are you sacrificing daily on that? Every, you know, somebody on welfare, a limited amount of money, could they take the amount of money for one Starbucks coffee and give that away in a network of giving, uh, hoping to teach some minister how to give wisely? You know, uh the, the going back to uh you know the the hope of the righteous shall be gladness you know, what is the righteous those who sacrifice in a righteous way when a wicked man dieth his expectation shall perish and the hope of the unjust men perishes with him but the righteous lives on and so what is the righteous? That's what we're supposed to be seeking is that righteousness of God. 
So you you'll be a doer. You 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 won't be giving up your right to choose. You won't be giving up your and but the fact is you have given up and your parents have given up and now you're waking up into bondage. But now you have a right to say you're in bondage. Say you're a policeman in bondage. And in the elements of the world, you got the mark of the beast. How can you save yourself? No. But you can start doing right. Start listening. Start, you know, being still, learning to meditate uh, in, in your quiet times, in your prayer times, in your prayer closet. But then you have to go out and put what God is putting on your heart into action. And eventually, maybe you won't be a centurion anymore. You won't be a policeman anymore. But you cannot impose that idea on yourself or on anybody else. You have to swim in the waters in which you are waking up and do right by those around you. And those opportunities will present themselves all the time. And that will allow God's light to shine in you and show you your path, where you must go, where you must walk. And don't regulate anybody else in their walk until God says to do it, and he probably never will. Until then, uh, I I want you to join the network. Peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.